Thank you, worship team. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing God we serve and we get to sing to him together. I want to remind you, I probably should have done this in the announcements, I want to remind you that it's communion this morning, and we're going to be celebrating that together. So if you need to pause <laughs> and go uh, collect your stuff, if you haven't gotten the bread and the cup together yet, you can, you can do that right now. Um, I want to thank you. Thank you to many of you who responded after last week's service to the request to, to share your prayer concerns, uh, to share your praises as to what God is doing. He's doing a lot. And those requests that came in for His will to be done in so many different areas of our lives. Uh, that is a huge connection point for us during this time. This uh, opportunity for us as a family uh, where we get to participate together even when we're not physically together. It's an amazing opportunity. And so please avail yourself of it as we connect through prayers and petitions before our Heavenly Father together. In 2 Timothy, uh, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 7, and, and, he, and he calls out a very common human tendency where people, he says, can always be learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Do you ever feel like that? You're always accumulating knowledge. You're always searching, but don't seem to be taking too many steps forward. It happens to us all. It happens to every human being on the planet. And in our digital age that you and I live in now, this has never been more true. We're, we're swimming in gigabytes of data, and we're still thirsting for reality. We're drowning in information. It's coming at us from all sides, but we're starved for genuine community. In Daniel's prophecies uh, throughout his book, he's given a vision for the future. Uh, a future, by the way, that uh, we today are over 2,500 years closer to than he was. It's upon us. And in Daniel 12, at the end of his book, his prophetic book in verse 4, he's told to keep quiet about the very end of things. And it goes like this. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And here it is. Here it is. Many shall run to and fro. Does this sound like our world? And many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. We get that, don't we? Technology links us instantaneously with anyone we want around the planet. And yet the more information we get and the more virtual connections we make, we discover the more isolated and lonely we become. And I, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not down on technology. Uh, I love it. I got an iPad here. I enjoy technology as much as anybody else. Yet these virtual connections that we have been forced to make, those of us who weren't making it before, forced to make during this time are poor substitutes for the kind of exchange that happens when I get to uh, put my arms around my loved ones and physically touch them. Uh, when I get to sit face to face with a friend uh, over some sort of mutual conversation where we get to interchange and exchange ideas over what's really on our heart. Now, if that's true for our relationships with other human beings, how much more true is it and how much more essential is it when it comes to our relationship with the Lord our God? 
the God who made heaven and earth. I can learn something about God when I look at the world that he's created, but I would know nothing about his divine nature, about his true nature, if he hadn't revealed it to me himself. So I long to commune with God. It's a part of who I am. And one of the ways he has provided for you and I to commune is through the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. We call it communion. You realize it's a command of God, right? Do we realize this isn't a suggestion, it's not a good idea, this is a command to fulfill. It's an ordinance of the church given to us by Jesus Christ himself before his death on the cross. It's both solemn and it's a celebration. In communion, how do we grow solemn? We grow solemn when we remember. Uh, We remember the suffering and we remember the death of our perfect sacrifice. Our substitute, the Son of God. And in communion, while we do that, we confess openly and honestly that it was our sin, my sin, that put him on the cross. All that suffering and all that sacrifice was made necessary because of who we are from the moment we're born. But in the Lord's table, you see, there's also this, at the very same time, there's this celebration. And and we rejoice while we take the the cup and while we take the bread that God has made a way for you and I to be saved. And that by taking the bread and the cup, as we do it together, we proclaim with confidence that Jesus Christ is not only alive, but he's coming back. And we long for that day. So in both these ways, we express in turn both uh, sorrow and joy and grief and triumph. So there's this sense in this one little meal that I'm holding in my hand right now. In this one little meal, there's this sense that as we take it together, we're rehearsing the entire gospel message with all its shame and with all its glory. But there's another element I want to focus on today, another element to the Lord's Supper that makes it both solemn and a celebration. And I know that Personally, I don't often take the time to consider. To consider it as much as the previous two we just talked about. It's a truth that accentuates the fact that the Lord's Supper is unique among all the things you and I do together. As we celebrate, as we, as we worship God, this one thing is, is unique as we corporately worship together. When you and I have this meal, there is a visible separation between those who are confessing Christians and those who are non-confessing Christians, who do not confess Jesus Christ as their Savior. When you and I gather, whether it's in this room or, in, or out in a field or, or in the living room of your home where you might be right now, when we are gathered and, and we worship together, we often stand and sing, right? And, and we sing. And who do we sing to? Each other? <laughs> no. We sing to God when we're, stand, we're, we're focusing on Him with our voices and not on anyone else in the room. Okay, that might be a little guilt trip for some of us. You focus on God alone as you sing to God alone. We aren't looking around and being all concerned that, yeah, I wonder if that person's saved. I wonder if that person's an unbeliever. No, we, we welcome the worship of God with all the voices. 
When, when I preach and teach like I am right now, I preach with the prayer that the gospel message penetrates and convicts not only Christian hearts, but non-Christian hearts who might be listening. When we pray together, as I hope we, we do every week and every moment of every day unceasingly, when we pray together, don't we pray for the concerns uh, of members of the family of God and non-members of the family of God? But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, do you see how it's so different? We welcome some, and we let others know that they shouldn't participate in this meal of remembrance. And we're really serious about it. We distinguish between those who ought to participate and those who ought to refrain for their own good and their own physical and spiritual good. It's recorded in a lot of detail, and I want to read it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, about communion, about the Lord's Supper, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, there it is, you proclaim, we all proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then Paul goes on to warn that to eat and to drink this meal as an unbeliever, is to eat and drink judgment on yourself. And to eat and drink this meal as an unrepentant believer, even though you're saved and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, is to, all, is to invite discipline, serious discipline, physical discipline on yourself. Look at verses uh, 27 to 30. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why, Paul says, many of you are weak and you're ill, and some of you have even died. Wow. We call upon each person who is worshiping with us today, even though it's online, even though no one is watching you except God, to seriously consider 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Examine yourself. Examine yourself and then eat the bread and drink of the cup. Paul's instructing us. He's instructing those Corinthian believers who were really messing this meal up. He's instructing us to reflect on the state of our own souls. It's, it's an amazing opportunity that we at Grace Chapel do once a month. If there's one thing this season of COVID has provided, hopefully for you, it has for me, it's a time and an opportunity to slow down and to reflect. 
If there's one thing the Christmas season that we're entering into right now offers, it's a reminder to reflect on the Son of God. And we need to consider whether our hearts and our lives even show the evidence that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And only then, Paul says, do you eat and drink. Only then are you truly mindful, mindful of the body of Christ. Only then is, is, what, is what we say to each other and what we do for each other because of Jesus Christ. It becomes the motivation for all that we say and all that we do, who we are. His sacrifice for our sin dead on the cross, God's provision that cleansed my soul and enabled me to do the good deeds that I might be able to do during the average week. Only then, when I consider all that, do I eat and do I drink. Only when we're mindful of the the body of Christ, which is the church. See, there's two bodies he's talking about here. The church, into which every one of us who's trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior has been placed, have found a home, this family, This family is the only place on earth where we are really unified for an eternal purpose. The community where we are in love with each other, are we? Where we have no ill will, where we have no sin between us, then you eat and you drink. So there's two bodies. There's Jesus Christ's actual body, the sacrifice that made the second body, the church, possible. But even as we eat and drink this meal, we acknowledge that some will not and that some must not. So here's the thing about this, this this visible separation that we, we see, we acknowledge every time we celebrate communion together. This visible separation that occurs every time communion is celebrated anywhere on the planet, it should grieve us. Because it reminds us that there are still some who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, have not yet come to Him, who still refuse to hear and then to respond, to heed to that call. This is, a, this is the good news of real freedom, real liberation, or that there are some within our church family who uh, have not yet restored a relationship with someone else that they should. They haven't repented of a sin to uh, a merciful, forgiving Father who will cleanse all sin and restore righteousness. When you think about your salvation and who you are in Jesus Christ, does your heart rejoice? Like, do you get so excited about it or overwhelmed that it's just like, whoa? Do you get amazed that you've been adopted out of a dead family into a living family? But do you at the same time grieve at your own rebellion in spite of your salvation? The warning Paul gives here keeps away those who are outside, but notice this, it protects those who are inside. Along with the warning and this huge caution comes this open invitation. 
What the warning is an, is an invitation to trust in Jesus Christ's death for your sin debt and enjoy the rewards of living and being protected from the coming judgment. Have no worries because you're now in Jesus Christ's body. But with the warning to you and I who know Jesus as Savior, there's also the, an invitation. There's an invitation to repent of unconfessed sin, to, to get it cleaned, to restore relationships with others that we have issues with, that haven't been rectified, because Jesus Christ's death for your sin debt restored your relationship with our Heavenly Father. What makes we, us think that we can walk around with unrestored relationships with others that all it takes is to say, I'm sorry? Or to extend a hand. To treat others like you want to be treated. To love others more than yourself. A communion with Jesus Christ himself and a communion with each other. That word that term that we so often use for the Lord's Supper, communion. You know where it came from? It's derived from a Latin word. Okay, here we go, a little bit of history here. It's derived from the Latin word meaning sharing in common. That's all it means. So when we say, let's have communion together, we are now going to share in common. And the most powerful way we do that, that Jesus Christ asked us to do, is through the Lord's Supper. It translates from a Greek word that we find in the New Testament. Koinia means participation, participating, sharing in common together. And we find that Greek word in the chapter, chapter 10, right before the one that we've been reading from. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, here's what Paul says about the Lord's Supper. The cup, which we're going to take in a moment, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a koinia? Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ that we're sharing in common? And the bread that we break, is it not a koinia? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Look at the next verse. Because there is only one bread, there can be only one. And so we who are many are one body because of that. For we all partake. We all participate of the one bread. And who is the one bread? Jesus. So in partaking together today, we all show at the same time that we are in the body of Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice of the literal body of Jesus Christ. We show that we're one body participating, agreeing together in a very, very holy meal. And it's not just in our remembering uh, communion, but it's to leave where we live and go out into the world and live out the gospel together, even when we're not physically together. Wherever God places you, there are so many benefits from participation in the family of God. I mean, it could do a whole series of messages on the benefits, but here's just a couple that uh, we get as we take communion. As we all take the bread and the cup as one, there, there's this visible inclusion and a sense of belonging. Our world 
starved to belong, to be a part of something. That's why gangs and societies and causes are so popular, just to be part of something with other people. And you get to belong to something that encourages you. And it shows that so many belong as we participate together. So many have, have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many have come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, just like you. And although we've been called as individuals, here's another benefit, we're called into a living community that numbers in the millions around the globe. We are part of something so amazing called the family of God. In verses 33 and 34, Paul goes on to say, so then, if this is all true, and it is, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Because you see, they were totally messing it up. They were bringing all this uh, wine and food to this holy meal, and those who had a lot weren't sharing it with others. It was just a mess. And they were just being gluttons. He says, wait for one another. Don't mess this up because you will, you will be disciplined if you do. If anyone is hungry, eat at home. This is different. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. In the quietness of this meal in your living room, wherever you happen to be, remember that the Lord's Supper is the place where the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and it is also at the same time offered to anyone who would receive it. Do you need to come to God right now to seek His faithful forgiveness? Let that sink in. This would be the place. And Paul's warning was not just for those who are leading unworthy lives and openly sinning out in the streets. Um, actually, if it was for anyone who was unworthy, that would include every one of us. Because <laughs> without Jesus Christ, we are all unworthy. But his warning by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was for those who were making light of, not taking communion seriously, just going through the motions, maybe just a ritual. And they did this by their attitude, and they even did it by their outward behavior at the meal. So, so when you and I participate right now in the Lord's Supper this morning, this Sunday morning, it is appropriate for you and I to experience both grief and gratitude, sorrow and celebration at this one miniature little meal. So let's take a moment to silently commune with our Father in heaven. Let's confess as it's needed. Let's rejoice, which we can always do. And let's lay our burdens down, whatever they are, at the feet of our master. And for some of you, I pray today you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. I'll say amen after a brief time of silence, and then let's take and let's eat. The God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, it's not a God manufactured by humans. I know there's a lot of gods in our world today that have been manufactured by humanity but not the God of the Bible. He is a God who speaks. He is a God who has revealed himself to little old you and me in our own language. Isn't that amazing? 
And in the opening verses of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, God begins his self-revelation by speaking. And then he never stops. Right through to the closing verses of Revelation, the God who marked the beginning of the universe by speaking into the black and empty void in Genesis 1-3, he said, let there be light. He anticipated the light's culmination in the glorious return of his son, Jesus Christ, who himself speaks at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 22-20, surely I'm coming soon. If, if you and I desire to know something about God this Christmas season, if we desire to stop thirsting, to, to really be satisfied, drink His Word. That's the long and the short of it. There's really not a whole lot else to say. There is simply no reliable knowledge of God apart from the Word of God. Don't let anybody tell you differently. And yet, that Word is not the kind of information dump that you and I typically associate with ordinary human communication, a kind of data transfer. You know, fill up my hard drive at church on Sunday, and then I'll just spin through the rest of the week, and somehow it'll magically all come out okay. God's Word is the means by which He discloses Himself to you and to me. God's Word is the means by which He opens up His heart, His true heart to you and to me so that we can see what kind of a God we serve, so that we can uh, know how to address Him, how to access Him in this world right here, right now. How we get to know of His gifts of forgiveness and for many, I hope, His gift of salvation to eternal life. So I challenge you today to be in God's Word daily like you never have before. We live in a remarkable time and it's very evil. May the salvation and the hope that Christmas offers to all mankind be yours today. I hope to see you live and in person next week. But until then, God bless.